Odessa's grain shipping infrastructure attacked for the second consecutive night. Either they get what they want or no one will get grain. So this is kind of a manipulation and kind of a blackmailing, we can probably call it this way. Plus, Russian President Vladimir Putin will skip an upcoming summit in South Africa. Pretoria's diplomatic nightmare appears to be over. And later in the program, America's top military general comments on Kyiv's counteroffensive, and we take a look at cyber war. Today is Wednesday, July 19th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Steve Karish in Washington. An update on Ukraine's military counteroffensive coming up shortly. Now, Russia has launched an intense series of nighttime attacks on Ukraine targeting agricultural shipping infrastructure in the southern port city of Odessa for the second consecutive night. AP correspondent Karen Chamas reports. The head of Kiev's military administration, Serhii Popko, said it was a difficult night of air attacks on Ukraine, particularly for Odessa. Authorities in Odessa said the attack included dozens of missiles and strike drones aimed at the port and infrastructure facilities. Debris from missiles and drones that were shot down fell on apartment buildings, seaside resorts and warehouses, sparking fires and injuring several people. Ukrainian authorities reported more drones and missiles sent against more parts of Ukraine than in recent days. I'm Karen Chamas. As we've heard, Odessa is attacked for the second night in a row. For more, I'm joined by Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. It's the second night in a row that Odessa is under such attack, such, uh, uh, well, quite a huge strike uh, with missiles and drones. According to Russian officials, this is a kind of an answer uh, to Ukraine for, for, for attacking a Crimea breach. Uh, but again, uh, Ukraine never never took responsibility officially, at least uh, for for this recent attack that happened a couple of days ago. Uh, and again, uh, in Ukraine, um, there is no such you know a belief that this was uh, this attack on Odessa uh, seaport is like you know this particularly answer for Crimea bridge because such attack. Uh, is uh, is it t- takes more time to plan. So in Ukraine, people do not really believe that this was just planned in, in this couple of days. However, we have the fact uh, of uh, two nights in a row attack and um, uh, Odessa is under, uh, under damage, especially Odessa ports. Uh, and uh, for the moment, we know that uh, due to this latest attack, 60,000 uh, tons of grain uh, was destroyed uh, in, in, in one of the Odessa ports. And uh, in, in general, uh, this port attacks uh, has this, uh, have this very close connection to, to grain deal that uh, Russian side do not want to continue. So uh, in Ukraine, it is uh, seen uh, and it is... Um, uh, it, it is perceived as a certain 
uh, a, a certain, you know, um, a planned operation by Russian forces in order to uh, to stop this grain deal and in order to uh, unable Ukraine to uh, to send this so needed grain uh, to countries in need. So the belief is that the Russians are intentionally attacking the ports, port infrastructure and the, the shipping infrastructure to prevent Ukraine from shipping its grain with or without the grain deal. Uh, yes, exactly, because Ukrainian president and Ukrainian officials confirmed that they are ready to continue the shipments of grain uh, despite uh, Russia's, uh, Russia's decision to stop the grain deal. So uh, definitely, uh, this is something that um, this is something that perceived here as as the main uh, as the main reason, because in total, if we look at the attack, at this latest attack, Russian forces. Uh, hit uh, mostly Odessa, only Odessa region, uh, mostly with uh, 32 missiles, 32 drones, and one additional uh, aviation uh, missile, uh, which was also attacking uh, Odessa region. Also, some parts of Mykolaiv region were were under attack and damaged, but uh, definitely, uh, it, according to Ukrainian uh, air force, the main target was Odessa and uh, Odessa region. Well, Ukraine's been shipping grain, um, you know, through the deal since the war started. So why would the Russians want to attack and, and disable the capability of doing that now? It's a topic for discussion, of course, but uh, it could be that uh, Russian side is trying to negotiate their uh, particular hopes and needs to be included uh, in in order to prolong this grain deal. Uh, and this is kind of a, a behavior to show that uh, either either they get what they want or no one will get grain. So this is kind of a manipulation and kind of a blackmailing, we can probably call it this way. And unfortunately, and actually according to international experts as well, unfortunately Russia is using food using uh, products like grain uh, for blackmailing uh, the world uh, and especially those countries in need. So um, it could be it could be the reason. Moving on from Odessa and from the grain itself, has there been any other military developments uh, since we spoke last? Uh, well, according yes, according to Ukrainian uh, general staff and to Ukrainian armed forces in the eastern part uh, of uh, of the front line, uh, Ukrainian forces has certain um, success and advance in some areas, and we can say that also around uh, Zaporizhia. Uh, at least, uh, at least this is what was confirmed lately. Also, uh, we are hearing about attacks in Crimea. Uh, of course, again, we do not have any uh, um, any confirmation from the Ukrainian authorities and any responsibility taken uh, for this attack in Crimea. But apparently, it's it's quite a positive also result for Ukrainian forces because a, a huge uh, a huge um, uh, military depot was uh, targeted in the areas of, of Crimea, deep into the territory. And um, uh, this is something that uh, also we can consider as a part of this, you know, wider counteroffensive operation. However, again, as I already said, we, we do not have any confirmation that it was done by uh, Ukraine, Ukraine, and uh, we cannot independently verify this information.
And we'll leave it there for today. Anna Chernikova in Kiev. And as always, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Steve. World food supplies are in peril. The suspension of the Black Sea Grain Initiative, coupled with the crippling attacks on Ukraine's shipping infrastructure, could lead to food shortages and higher prices worldwide. The World Food Program's regional director for East Africa, Michael Dunford, said that events in Ukraine will exacerbate what is already a terrible situation. Reuters' Christy Kilburn has the details. The World Food Program is warning food insecurity in eastern Africa will only get worse after Russia pulled out of the UN-brokered grain deal. The deal allowed Ukraine to safely export grain through the Black Sea, and aid agencies say its collapse will hit some of the world's poorest countries the hardest. Michael Dunford is the WFP's Eastern Africa director. This is going to make our ability to feed hungry people, that much more difficult. Already, there are 80 million people in the region who are acutely food insecure. A whole range of factors are driving that. It's conflict, it's climate, it's the economic shocks, and of course, it's the hangover from COVID. This suspension of the initiative will just exacerbate what is already a terrible situation. On top of all that, Dunford says the Sudan conflict adds a layer of difficulty to providing aid in the region. The war has led to the displacement of more than 3 million people, including more than 700,000 who have crossed into neighboring countries. We've never seen the region at such a high risk as it is today. In fact, at the beginning of the year, we were saying that the region was on fire. In light of what's now happening in Sudan and the other factors that are playing out, it feels like the region's actually been doused with petrol and the fire is now out of control. On Tuesday, the United Nations said it would continue to push for a solution. The Secretary General will continue to explore all possible avenues uh, to ensure that uh, Ukrainian uh, grain, uh, Russian grain, and Russian fertilizer are out into the global market. Uh, that is, that, that is a, a, a determination of, of his. Uh, there are a number of ideas being, uh, being floated. The Black Sea grain deal was brokered by the UN and Turkey last July to combat a global food crisis worsened by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine and Russia are among the world's top grain exporters. Christy Kilburn of Reuters with that report for us. As the world decries the disillusion of the grain deal and looks for solutions, any new arrangement would need the cooperation of Turkey. Dorian Jones reports from Istanbul. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky wants grain exports to continue and is calling on nations to provide reliable and long-term defense of the corridor. That would need the support from the Turkish Navy, which is second only to Russia in the Black Sea. But with Moscow warning of the dangers of continuing grain exports, Ankara is wary of getting involved. If Ankara doesn't offer assistance, other NATO members could want to step in to secure the continuation of Ukrainian grain exports. But Turkey is the gatekeeper to the Black Sea under the international Montreux Convention. And some analysts say it will be reluctant to allow NATO warships to approach the war zone. Since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine last year, Ankara has blocked access to the Black Sea to both Russian and NATO ships. 
It's part of what Turkey says is its balanced approach, one that Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan claims helped him broker the UN grain deal. Erdogan says he believes Turkish diplomacy can again find a solution. Russian and Turkish foreign ministers held talks Tuesday. Turkey, as the world's largest flour exporter and among the largest exporters of pasta, stands to lose if Ukrainian grain exports do not resume. With the Turkish waterways no longer full of ships carrying Ukrainian grain, analysts predict food prices will surge, along with the pressure to find a solution. Dorian Jones for VOA News, Istanbul. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Steve Karish. A conversation about cyber war, what is happening and what isn't, in a few minutes. Now, AP correspondent Sagar Magani filed this report on Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley and his assessment of Ukraine's counteroffensive. America's top military officer says Ukraine is holding significant combat power in reserve as it stages a counteroffensive against Russia. Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley says the Ukrainians are essentially keeping their powder dry while working their way through lethal defenses that the Russians have had months to set up. Lots of complex minefields, dragon's teeth, barbed wire, trenches, etc. Milley's flat dismissing suggestions the counteroffensive is failing. It's way too early to make that kind of call. Noting while war games had predicted certain levels of advance, there's a difference between war on paper and real war. These are real people in real machines that are out there really clearing real minefields and they're really dying. Milley spoke after he and Pentagon Chief Lloyd Austin met with defense leaders from around the world to discuss Ukraine's military needs. Sagar Magani, Washington. South Africa announced Wednesday that Russian President Vladimir Putin would not be attending a BRICS summit in August in person, ending a controversy over whether Pretoria would abide by its obligations under the International Criminal Court and arrest him. Putin is wanted by the court for alleged war crimes that happened during Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg. Pretoria's diplomatic nightmare appears to be over. After months of confusion surrounding Putin's possible travel to South Africa, President Cyril Ramaphosa's spokesman, Vincent Maguena, announced the Russian leader won't be attending the meeting of the BRICS Group of Emerging Economies. By mutual agreement, President Putin of the Russian Federation will not attend the summit. However, Russia will be represented by Foreign Minister Mr. Sergei Lavrov. The announcement comes a day after it was revealed that Ramaphosa believed arresting Putin, should he set foot in the country, would amount to a declaration of war. South Africa, which is a signatory to the International Criminal Court's Rome Statute, had been looking for possible ways out of acting on the warrant, despite pressure from the political opposition and rights groups to honour its commitment. Mia Swart, a law professor at Johannesburg's Witwatersrand University, told VOA South Africa is now relieved of any obligation to act. It will not be necessary for the government to go through any of the legal maneuvers they've been considering over the last month, such as even withdrawing from the statute. She added that the government's announcement shows they realized there was no way of escaping their international obligations. In some sense, this is a good thing. It means that they take the ICC seriously. And one can read into this that there is no 
you know, that there is there is no plan to withdraw from the ICC imminently. Elizabeth Sideropoulos, director of the South African Institute of International Affairs, said that Ramaphosa's argument that arresting Putin would have been seen as a declaration of war by Moscow, which was rejected by South Africa's opposition, was not necessarily incorrect. And I think that that isn't... Uh an, an implausible assumption uh, to make, not only in the case of President Putin, but indeed in the case of any other uh, head of state in any, of any other uh, country, should he or she um, uh, be arrested or an, an attempt to, to arrest them in, in another country be, be executed. And, and certainly Russia would see it that way. South Africa has been widely criticized by the West for what is perceived as its bias towards Moscow, though the government rejects the allegations and insists it has taken an officially neutral stance on the Ukraine war. Last month, Ramaphosa led a delegation of African leaders to both Ukraine and Russia as part of an unsuccessful peace mission. Foreign Minister Lavrov, who will now be attending the BRICS event alongside Ramaphosa and the leaders of China, Brazil and India, was welcomed to the country on a visit earlier this year, shortly before South Africa hosted Russian warships for controversial joint exercises. Then, in May, the U.S. ambassador to the country made the startling allegation that South Africa also had provided arms to Russia, something the government has denied but says it is investigating. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg. Just how central are cyber operations to combined arms campaigns in the 21st century? When Russia invaded Ukraine, it marked the fourth time Russia used military force against a neighbor since the end of the Cold War, and the seventh time Russia used cyber operations as part of a larger campaign, or independently as an instrument of coercion against a neighboring state. I spoke with Brandon Valeriano. He's a distinguished senior fellow at the Krulak Center for Innovation at the Marine Corps University. He's co-author of a new report published by the Center for Strategic and International Studies that counters the popular notion that modern warfare will include more and more cyber elements. The deeper concern is with the, the discourse in the field that a lot of people suggest the future of war will contain a substantial portion of cyber warfare. And um, us, and along with a few other academics, have <laughs> fought back against this prediction for quite a bit of time. Um, but everyone's always said, uh, wait for the next war, wait for the next war. Well, this is the next war. And the things people suggested would happen never happened. So we're not seeing a lot of highly visible cyber attacks, but what we are seeing is more trench warfare, heavy artillery, tanks, and jets. Well, I would say we are seeing a lot of cyber attacks. We saw a 70% increase. What we're not seeing, though, is this precision and uh, coordination between conventional operations and cyber operations. In fact, the great majority of Russian attacks are focused on the private sector. And that's not too surprising unless you predicted that the future of war would include this key cyber component, which many did, including Rand and uh, a scholar at Columbia and, and others. So why do you think that cyber component is missing from this war? Is it a lack of skill on part of the Russians or is it just the nature of war? Well, that's the thing. A lot of people are looking for some silver bullet answer. And, you know, the reality is, I will tell you as an academic, there's never one answer. It's always going to be a multi-causal effect. 
And clearly there's the influence and support of the United States and NATO allies. There is the support of the private sector, particularly Microsoft and Google. And then, as you mentioned, there is the ineptitude of the Russian side that they have been overestimated in cybersecurity for quite a long time. And they again given more credit for successes than they should have. One thing I found interesting about your report is you differentiate kinds of cyber attacks. There are the mm-hmm. what you might call, I guess, a weaponized cyber attack computer viruses, attacks meant to take down networks and systems, and other attacks, really much more misinformation attacks, but in the internet, Mm -hmm. in the cyber field. Can you explain that dichotomy a little bit and talk about how the Russians are using each of those? Yeah. Uh, Establishing a typology is important because so often people group things as a kind of massive whole. And that's why, like, saying all wars are alike. And, of course, not all wars are alike. And it's tough to compare different wars together. And that's the same thing with cyber attacks, that we distinguish between disruptive cyber attacks, which are the most common, and they include DDoS and information operations and other light forms of cyber operations to affect an adversary. Then we look at um, the espionage attacks, These are attacks to harvest, collect, or alter information. And that's another key factor because the great majority of attacks are actually uh, meant to be espionage if they're led by the state. And then you have the smaller class and the more interesting class of what we call degrade attacks. And these attacks seek to alter, affect, destroy, damage they're really what you think of when you think of cyber uh, warfare and cyber operations. But they're incredibly rare. And that's the challenge, is that people think these things are more common because cyber operations happen continuously, and they do. But what we mean when we say these things happen continuously or they're persistent is they're really low-level attacks, basically akin to something you would expect out of a normalized bureaucracy in cyberspace is what you're starting to create now with these large cyber armies, particularly in Russia and China. So we've been talking a lot about uh, the Russians and their cyber attacks, their cyber arsenal. What's going on on the Mm -hmm. other side of this battle? There's always two parties in a war. Um, What are the Ukrainians doing? Are they doing anything? How is it working? The most important thing and the most effective thing they're doing is the defense. And they're protecting their infrastructure, they're layering their defenses, and they're preparing. It struck me quite early on that when before the war started, they were building trenches and putting up wired communication lines. And that's really the difference between the Ukrainians and the Russians. The Russians rush into war without having prepared communication avenues that we know that they had to leave up a lot of the Ukrainian cell phone infrastructure because they had to use that Ukrainian cell phone infrastructure and they were stealing cell phones for that purpose. Whereas the Ukrainians are doing what a lot of us suggest that states do, prepare for the inevitable. There will be cyber conflict. There will be cyber operations. But there should be few zero points of failure. There should be a lot of redundancy and we need to harden our targets because we know what they're going to come for. They're going to come for our critical infrastructure. They're going to come for our communications. 
and to not be prepared for what might be inevitable by focusing on maybe the offense um, is a problematic framework because the offense is a very fleeting moment and it's tough to plan for cyber offense. Brandon Valeriano is a distinguished senior fellow at the Krulak Center for Innovation at the Marine Corps University. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for your analysis today. Yeah, no problem. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day. Visit us online at voanews.com and on social media. Be sure to follow VOA News. On behalf of the entire Flashpoint Ukraine team, thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Karish. This is the voice of America. Washington, Papa, Zip, D.C.